Welcome to episode 87 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers. That means we love looking at the night sky. And this podcast is for anyone else who enjoys going out under the stars. And today we have a special listener guest, Justin, who's joining us to talk about his 80 millimeter F5 telescope and 3D printing and how uh, 3D printing is evolving in amateur astronomy. So welcome, Justin. Hey, good to be here. Yeah, good to have you. Yeah, so um, I'll just kick in a little bit here too. Uh, you, Justin uh, and uh, Chris and I have been kind of collaborating over email. Justin has um, sent some initial communications with some photographs of uh, an ST80. I think it's an Orion. Is that right, Justin? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that you received. That um, came with some eyepieces, but I think you needed uh, some rings and a dovetail to attach it to a mount. And in one of the photographs, what really caught my eye was all of that stuff, the, the rings and the dovetail were 3D printed. Um, so then through our correspondence, I found out that Justin is quite involved in 3D printing. And yes, I thought, Man, very this- involved in 3D printing. <laughs> yes, I was blown <laughs> away by this presentation. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So um, you, through the correspondence, uh, Justin agreed to come onto the podcast because I, I, I think that there's a lot of listeners that would be very interested in this for a number of reasons. 3D printing, I think, can solve a lot of problems uh, in astronomy and probably well beyond that. Um, but the other cool thing is like, you know, five to 10 years ago, 3D printing was not a very accessible thing. But more and more people have these 3D printers now in their basements and they're doing their own stuff. Um, like Phil, uh, who's been on the podcast and who, uh, you know, we talk to a lot. Uh, he does a bunch of 3D printing too. And I just, I think that this is becoming more and more commonplace. So I, I think that this is such a cool topic and uh, excited to dive into this one. So uh, maybe Justin, maybe just tell us a little bit about your background in, you know, astronomy and maybe a little bit of, uh, you know, how you got into 3D printing. I think you mentioned you took a course on it. So uh, just kind of curious about some of that stuff to kick it off. Absolutely. Um, so I'll start with uh, astronomy, how I got into astronomy. I mean, I've, I've, ever since I was a little kid, I was always into space and, and airplanes and things like that. So it was very natural for me to, to soak up all the uh, space stuff that I kind of came across when I was little and and growing up and um, I actually, I'd say my um, astronomy kind of started with photography. I was actually in uh, California for an internship for three months and I, I kick myself pretty often when I remember like I was in the high desert, not far from some really great skies and I really wasn't into astronomy per se. I was really into photography. And so I was learning all the, you know, f-stop and all the, all the things that come with, with photography and, um, and I came back home uh, where I was originally from in Louisiana, saw some videos online of people taking their cameras and pointing them at the sky. I was like, well, I'm going to try it out. And um, I remember even without a tracker, I was getting some, you know, Great Orion Nebula smudges. And I was like, what? So <laughs> I'm going to have to get a tracker and, and, you know, kind of been hooked since then. And then um, as far as visual astronomy goes, it actually happened pretty recently. Um, actually great conjunction. I was talking to some uh, group chat we have with some guys back, back in Louisiana that I observed with. And I was talking about, I really didn't have enough magnification to see any of the, any of the plants or anything. And I was talking about, like, I'd listen to this podcast and they're talking about the SD80. I was like, I'm, I think I might, might try and find one. And, and funny enough, one of the guys said he had one just sitting in a box. He was using his guide scope a while back. And 
Wow. That I could have it. So I'm like, well, yeah, absolutely. So we sent it up here and I cleaned it up. And, and since I have a 3D printer, I kind of took it on from there. But and for 3D printing, I was I was in um, in college and it was a, an option to take a additive manufacturing. They called it an additive manufacturing class. And really, it was an excuse for me to get a 3D printer because I really wanted one. Uh, but <laughs> in that class, we did learn quite a bit. Um, and I've been using it ever since. So. Wow, that's very cool. I, I've been to Louisiana. It's amazing. <laughs> really? Yeah, my wife had a conference there. So I, I tagged along and, and spent a week uh, uh, getting, getting lost and having a few uh, <laughs> beers and stuff like that. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. a great time. Yeah, really, really, really enjoyed it. Hope to get back one day. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I guess maybe, um, maybe for, for our listeners, uh, maybe there's some people that aren't super familiar with 3d printing. Um, so I guess, how, how do you describe it, Justin? Like what, what is 3d printing? Um, 3d printing or in general additive manufacturing is, um, you're adding material to a part rather than taking it away. So, for, for, for base level, normally when you're manufacturing something, you start out with a chunk of, say, aluminum, and you're going to cut away aluminum until you get the part that you want. But for additive manufacturing, you start with nothing, and you lay down the material exactly where you want it. And um, that's, that's the main idea with 3D printing. Um, and then I guess in general, we can start talking about uh, specific machine types. There's really two you have plastic and resin and okay. most of the time uh, at home you're going to be using resin even though you can you can buy or sorry plastic you can buy resin printers they're a little more expensive though and they use um, an entirely different concept from the plastic printers is there a benefit of one over the other or do they do they basically achieve the same result well the resin printers um, since their limiting factor for layer height is actually the size of a, a beam of light, a laser. Uh, you can get a lot more detail than you can with, with the plastic printers because the plastic printers use like a, a hot brass nozzle. So really it's uh, the size of that nozzle, how small that little hole is, and that's how detailed you can get. Um, so, so most people use um, resin when they're looking for high detail um, for, and normally for smaller things as well because of the size of, of the plastic printers can get a lot larger than the, than the resin ones. Okay. So which one do you have? Uh, I have a plastic printer, uh, that, that idea or the philosophy is it's called an FDM or fused deposition modeling printer. It, it basically, you start with nothing on a bed here and you're going to have this hot brass nozzle that you push filament through, which is just plastic, but then it's extruded into like a long, noodle, I guess you could say. It's pushed through that hot nozzle and it melts that plastic and that nozzle will um, basically make a pattern on that table, on that uh, build plate, we call it, and lay down the plastic specifically where it needs to be for that layer. And then it will move up ever so slightly and print the next layer and then up and yeah. print the next layer and do that over and over again <clears throat> for hundreds of, you know, maybe even a couple thousand times until you have a part so, and it, it builds these layers that just sort of fuse together and you end up with one solid piece of whatever you're building or printing, I guess, at that point, right? Right. And you'll be able to see these layers in a, 
in a, a 3D printed part. I don't know if you have experience uh, visually seeing pictures of these. I mean, aside from the ones that I've sent you, but you can see like uh, lines in the part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, well, a number of years ago, uh, Chris and I, well, Chris sent me these uh, these plans online to build your own super bionic wide field binoculars. Mm -hmm. And what it was, was you got to, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Chris, but it was like a Nikon, for, it was like for a Nikon Coolpix camera. And it was yep. a, like an extender or a multiplier of like, it was like two times by 52 millimeter, I think. Something, something like, like that. that. Or yep. two by 42. Um, so you would order two of these uh, teleconverters or whatever the heck they were. Um, and then there were plans on cloudynights.com to 3D print the cups. And, and then they would have like a central joint that would rotate just like binoculars um, to accommodate, you know, different uh, IPD distances. Um, so anyway, Chris and I, my, my brother, uh, who's a teacher, their school has a 3d printer. So I sent him the plans. He printed the parts. We built the binoculars, but yeah, in, within like the plastic cups, you can see those lines, you know, of how that thing was built. And it's, uh, it's pretty neat to see it actually, cause you can kind of visualize it even after the fact. Mm -hmm. It's really cool because some people actually do time lapses, uh, of the parts they're printing and you'll just see them kind of form out of nowhere just layer by layer it's pretty cool yeah okay yeah really neat so one of the questions i had um and you know i might be taking us down a different rat hole here so you know feel free to tell me to shut up and go in a different <laughs> path that's fine but um uh when you said the pictures of the st80 um i like again i was really impressed with the rings and the dovetail uh I guess two questions I have. Number one on the rings is like how um, how tight of a fit was it around the optical tube, or or does it sort of allow for some bedding to go into the rings, like some felt, and then you just tie it or like tension it down as tight as it needs to be. So that's kind of question one. And question two is just, and I asked you this one in in one of our emails is is the uh, rigidness of it, like. Um, you know, one of the key things that for me, uh, when I'm observing is I can't handle any vibrations. They drive me crazy. And, you know, to me in my mind, metal is the way to go because it's the most rigid, but I'm just curious how the, like the, the plastic of the printing stands up to, um, to, uh, the rigidness, I guess, in preventing vibrations. So I don't know if you've had any chances to kind of use that, uh, the, the ST80, but I'll turn it over to you. Absolutely. Um, to answer your first question, um, I designed those rings with a large enough gap uh, at the top where they actually, the hardware comes in and tightens it down, a large enough gap to where it'll accommodate, you know, any kind of variation in diameter. So I didn't, you know, necessarily have to nail the diameter of that section I'm clamping onto. It's just going to depend on how tight I tighten those, uh, those nuts at the top. So you um, can... Um, take that off, put some lining in it if you want and still be able to tighten it down. Yeah. Okay. So, kind of putting that gap in there so that they're not, those two ends aren't flush together whenever you tighten it down all the way can, can help you in that way. And as for um, the rigidity, um, my goal with the design was to get the dovetail as close as I could to the, to the telescope there without interfering with anything yeah. because that would be the smallest um, moment arm. If you think about you know, the way yeah. that forces work, yeah, uh, because there it actually came with one ring. Um, I, I guess there's normally two that attach to a dovetail, but it's those really big rings with the like the three screws that come in 
and mm-hmm. like kind of mm-hmm. clamp it in the center. And that seemed pretty um, flimsy in terms of uh, like how far away it's mounted to the, like from the base of the dovetail to the center of the telescope, that, that's a much farther distance than, than the one that I drew up. And that was my goal because the longer that is, I feel like the more uh, vi- variation of vibration you would get. But I mean, then again, metal is definitely a lot more rigid than plastic. Uh, mm-hmm. Not really mattering what kind of plastic you have, it's metal. So in the end, you might uh, want to send it out to get manufactured uh, in metal if you really want to. But I haven't, I haven't seen any crazy uh, vibrations in it. I've, I printed it pretty thick purposefully. Yeah. Just um, right. there's, a, there's something called infill, which if I build a, if I draw up a cube and want to print it, It'll print the walls, but then on the inside uh, has something called an infill percentage where zero is hollow and 100% is solid. And anywhere in between there, it's uh, the percent of the inside of those walls that has some kind of support material. And um, I kind of, I I, uh, push that value up a a lot higher than I normally do just to make sure that the inside is strong along with the walls of the, of the dovetail. So huh, I have a cool. quick question. Um, so I, I guess that would Im- impact like weight as well. Like how heavy do these things uh, seem to be? Like I noticed that your ring on your ST80 actually looks really similar to the ring that I have on my, uh, on my 60 millimeter. And I just wonder like, like how, how does it compare? I'm guessing it's a little bit lighter, but when you do fill it completely, uh, in for that support, I, I'm guessing it it probably gets to to have some significant weight to it. It definitely can, um, but on you know, in general, if you have uh, a metal part and a plastic part right next to each other, even though the plastic part would be uh, completely full or 100% infill, it will definitely be lighter than the metal. Um, yeah. Hmm. Okay. You know, kind of an interesting thing too, that I'm curious about, I don't know if you'd have any insight into this, Justin, but, you know, different materials have different dampening qualities. So for example, in a tripod, you know, wood legs um, will dampen or absorb vibration much better than metal legs and are sometimes preferred. Um, I just wonder if plastic has any different dampening characteristics with, uh, in, or in regards to vibration or anything like that. I don't know if I would, know. I would uh, definitely imagine it would. I, I'm not entirely sure if it would yeah. be any better than, than those two materials. I think there's some testing involved with that. But I will say it kind of um, kind of leads me into different plastic materials you can print with. There's quite a few different ones you can you can put in the printer and, and use. Um, most people use something called PLA. Uh, it's the most common one. It's pretty general plastic. You don't really have to store it specially or anything. You just leave it on your desk. Whenever you want to use it, you you put it in and and use it. And then you have something called ABS, which is a little more tough and and ductile than PLA. It's what uh, Legos are made of, actually. So it's it's pretty rough stuff. That's Uh, interesting. Except on a Lego, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not not unfamiliar with Lego. (laughs) Yeah, it's great durable. That might have a little bit more of a, a dampening quality, but it is harder to work with. Uh, you have, it's very susceptible to temperature changes. So you have to keep it in an enclosure and keep that enclosure warm. And then- so, Oh, sorry. No, keep going. Well, I was, uh, another great one I've actually used is called TPU. It's a flexible material. So 
Um, we can actually talk about that in a second if you want. I actually printed a an eyepiece extension and it's it's flexible. And so maybe if you want to incorporate a little bit of flexible material in whatever you make for dampening qualities, I feel like you could actually actually get something usable out of that. Oh, a flexible material. So like after it's done printing, it has uh, some pliability or? or Absolutely. Uh, they have different durometers or different uh, amounts of flex that you can have in the material. But yes, it, it feels pretty much like a rubber part. Wow. So, so let, you know, I guess like the, the flexible stuff or the rings or the dovetail, what is like, assuming, you know, you already have the printer, what does it cost for materials to print, you know, the rings or, or some of this flexible stuff? Okay. Yeah. Um, so the stuff I use most is PLA and normally you can get a roll of it, which is kilogram or one kilogram. And it, it's roughly around 20 bucks. And um, normally that'll last you quite a while. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you exactly, but I, the ring and the dovetail, I wouldn't say it would be more than a hundred grams. So a 10th of a roll. Uh, so, I mean, I haven't really been in a position where I'm struggling to, to, you know, keep material in my house. You know, I've, I bought, I have maybe six rolls that I, I haven't in total. I maybe finished uh, one or two since I've started printing. I mean, I don't print very often, but, uh, yeah. it, but that also depends on the size of things you print, of course, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah. So really though, like, um, some of the stuff that you've shown us in the photographs, you were talking like, like cents to a couple of dollars probably to print some rings and a dovetail. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, Chris, it's not going to break the bank. <laughs> Chris, how much were your Prima Lucha rings that you recently bought? Yeah. They were like, uh, they were one ninety five on sale. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. So a huge difference, but, um, they are a beautiful crimson red, which Shane absolutely despises. So yeah, there's, there's yeah I do despise. Yeah. I, I hate your rings, but anyway, that's another discussion. <laughs> um, so uh, how, how does it hit? And prior to recording the podcast, uh, we were talking a little bit about the temperature differences between Regina, Saskatchewan and uh, where Justin is. <laughs> and mm-hmm. It's a little colder up here. Um, do you know how, like, does this, uh, does 3d printing like the, like again, your rings or, or whatever the product and product might be, do you know how well it stands up to cold weather or like, does it get more brittle? Like, um, would there be any concerns of using your rings say on a minus 20 degree Fahrenheit day? Uh, the short answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, uh, at colder temperatures, plastic does become more brittle now down here it doesn't get well in fahrenheit i mean we get freezing but i think the coldest i've ever been is in the teens so i I, it's not really a big concern for me and what i've printed so far i've taken out um in probably 20 22 23 degree weather and uh i've seen no no brittleness to like to be worried about Um, but for temperatures like y'all get up there, it might be something you'd want to test out first. And, and that would come into the materials that you use, uh, PLA and ABS, they're going to act differently at different temperatures normally. I mean, once you get stupid cold, it's going to be, you know, about the same, but Mm -hmm. as you get colder and colder, they, they will act differently. And then you can even use something even tougher, like a nylon. Uh, They actually have nylon filament you can print with. Oh, wow. You know, to be honest, when it, when it gets as cold as it is right now up here, um, 
uh, I'm not going outside anyway. So, <laughs> you know, as far as the, say the plastic, I, I don't even think I would be testing it, but, um, right. you know, it is, uh, it is, I guess, maybe a consideration for, for any cold weather observers. Um, I noticed that for the, like some of the threading, you did some brass inserts, um, which I imagine, you know, allows you to, to attach the rings to the dovetail, uh, much more securely rather than using plastic threads. Do you just glue those inserts in or, or what, what do you use to attach? Cause you know, one of the thing, one of the problems Chris and I had with our binoculars is I just use like your standard sort of crazy glue to glue the, um, the, pl the pl uh, plastic printed part to the Nikon lens casing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think after a year or two, Chris and I both had the lenses just fall out, like the, the glue separated. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I used the wrong glue or if it was just a bit of like, you know, the environment that we were using it in. I'm, I'm not sure. So uh, is there any good way to stick metal to this stuff? Or? Absolutely. Um, for I've really fell in love with the heated brass insert with 3D printing. So really what you do is um, I've got some pictures in this uh, PowerPoint I've kind of um, prepared for this, but you can, you can Google it. It's heated brass insert and, it's this uh, brass cylinder and the inside hole is threaded and the outside hole has these like sharp facets on it. And you actually use a soldering iron. You, uh, you put it over the end of the soldering iron, you get it hot. And in your part you've designed, you've, you have a hole, the uh, correct size that you need for this certain insert. And then once you get it hot, you insert that into that hole until it's flush with the surface and you bring the soldering iron out, let it cool. And it actually has melted the plastic around the outside of the insert and it holds in uh, very tightly. And then you can use that as a threaded hole for mounting another piece of plastic that you've designed or a piece of metal or anything you need to attach it to. And I really, I mean, they, they're easy to use and you have metal threads on your plastic part. Wow. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds that incredible. That sounds actually. amazing. Yeah. Like I kind of think probably what we could have done there, Shane, is made almost like caps. You know what I mean? That kind of lock it from yeah. the outside in. Like, yeah. a, like not like a cap, but a, like almost a like ring. a compression ring. Yeah. Like a, exactly. Kind of like a compression mm -hmm. ring. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's probably what, uh, that's probably what would work there. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So what would, like if Chris and I want to get into 3d printing or any of the listeners, um, you mentioned that there's a couple different, you know, uh, hardware options. Um, and I, I'm sure there's a lot of different size options too, because I think that's one of the limiting factors I've heard from other folks talk about is just the size of your 3d printer. Mm. Um, but like what kind of price would somebody be looking at if they wanted to purchase a 3d printer and, and, and whatever else is needed to, to be set up to print out whatever they want? That's a great question. And I definitely like to get people into 3D printing if, if, if that's something they want to pursue. Um, for the, specifically for the class I took, it was a couple of years ago, but the, something, the one that they recommended starting out with was something called the Ender 3. And I just looked it up and you can get one for uh, maybe with all the materials you need, like $300. That's it. Um, yeah, it's, wow. it's going to come in pretty much built. And what you're going to end up doing is actually the first couple of prints you're going to make are uh, like upgrades to the printer itself. So you're gonna make like uh, adjustment knobs and you might make a little cover or like a spool holder. Like it's pretty interesting how they can send in or send you the printer and then you print some of the parts to kind of finish it. 
That's awesome. But, um, that's a good entry level one. Um, and as far as bed size on that, that's one of the smaller ones. Uh, I have a 12 by 12 bed. Uh, I okay. specifically went for the bigger one when I was getting mine. Uh, you totally can go for something larger like that. I have what's called a TV or sorry, TiVo Tornado, but it's pretty much the same as a CR10 uh, from the same company that sells the Ender 3. I mean, they're all pretty much the same. Um, and you can look at reviews online and see what's best right now. But mm-hmm. um, bed size wise, if you want to print something that's bigger than your bed, you can always um, like chop it up, print it in pieces, or if it's one whole piece, you can um, break it in pieces and add hardware to attach it to itself together. Like you'll see with some of the uh, things that people print that are, you know, much larger than anyone's print bed, it's always in pieces and they've either glued it together or um, fastened it with some kind of hardware. So, I mean, mm-hmm. normally the size of the print bed it can be limiting, but if you do know how to work with some models and kind of cut it up and put it back together, you can print anything you want. Wow. So um, if you want to print uh, some rings for your telescope or whatever it might be, um, what kind of design is, is required? Like what kind of software do you need? What kind of mm-hmm. software knowledge? Um, and, you know, I know some of this stuff pre-exists that there's templates you can just download online. So, uh, you know, is right. most of this stuff just available where you go grab what, you know, a design, like a pre-existing design, or do you end up having to design a lot yourself? Mm. Uh, that's a great question. I, I'd say um, generally for astronomy, there isn't too much online at this point. I mean, there's some, some basic parts and, and you can go to um, a website called Thingiverse or you can mm-hmm. even go to GrabCAD, uh, two kind of websites that are basically just places where people upload their 3D print files and you can download them and, and print them. And um, they'll kind of put in some tips and tricks on how to do it and you know what you're looking for. But um, if you you have some some CAD experience or even want to learn some, some computer-aided design, uh, a great one to start with is Fusion 360, where uh, that's Autodesk. If you want to... I mean, it doesn't have to be complex to drop simple shape and, and print it out. That would be uh, the one to start with. It's actually, it's actually free um, as long as you don't make any money with it, you know, don't use it commercially. Um, but generally, you can start with the Fusion 360 if you want to try out the, the CAD stuff and start drawing some of your own. That, oh. uh, that Thingiverse is pretty amazing. Um, sort of coincidentally, right, right around the time, I think it was just right before um, we heard from you on the 3D printing, I was on there and I was looking at that telescope, that eight inch uh, trust Dobsonian mm-hmm. that uh, you had included in this presentation. So I was actually, oh, that's cool that he, he put that in there. And uh, I just thought, man, that looked like such a, such a neat project for somebody who uh, maybe was looking to get into astronomy because you can find pretty inexpensive uh, telescope mirrors these days. And, you know, you could probably build something like that up, but how, any idea how much it would, how much it would cost apart from the printer just in raw materials to put together something like an eight inch Dobsonian telescope mm-hmm. like that, even ballpark. Um, so specifically talking about that one that I saw it on Thingiverse as well. I had to include it in this PowerPoint because that is it's amazing. It's and really the colors, incredible. the colors <laughs> on it. I like, I'm a color person and like have oranges yeah. and uh, like all kinds of like different bright colors like that on the telescope. Like I've never seen a telescope that color before. It's pretty cool. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And, and he says on there, it's, it's about 5.5 kilograms or 12 pounds. 
Um, and just in raw material, obviously not all of that is plastic. I don't know how much the mirror would weigh, uh, but if you could even call the mirror a kilogram and the rest of it half a kilogram, you got four kilograms of material, which would be four rolls, which would be four times 20, you know, 80 bucks, just in material, I'd say, because um, you have support material as well that will not, you know, you'll be ripped off the part. So uh, at least 80 material, $80 in materials and then at least plastic materials and then whatever it costs for the mirror and the, the hardware and the components and those, those poles there. I mean, I don't know how much you spent on it, but um, it'd be 80 plus whatever all that stuff is. Yeah. Yeah. That's wow. not too bad. So, no, but you would need a, either a pretty large bed to print that or chunk it up. Like you mentioned earlier, I guess. Right. Mm -hmm. Then he yeah. might've done that. Um, I can actually go to, web page and see if he says uh the print bed required i see now there's a 12 inch one uh it's not on here it's somewhere else i was just like kind of googling around while we're chatting mm -hmm. he says on here that a regular 200 by 200 millimeter printer is sufficient for so that's eight by OTA eight. in the mount yeah, yeah. Huh. Is, is is an eight by eight is that more of a, like an entry level or is that like how does that stack up in terms of uh, you know the uh, like say that three hundred dollar printer that you mentioned, um, you mean eight inch by eight inch bed? Yeah, uh, I think that is the Ender three. I think that is its bed size. Wow. Uh, normally you have something around that size and something a little bigger, like the twelve by twelve that I have, and then you have something even bigger than that. But I think eight by eight is what most people like. The smaller ones that you start out with is. You know, my biggest fear of doing this episode of our podcast was that. I'm going to go upstairs and order a 3D printer. <laughs> and, you know, my wife is going to wonder what the heck I'm doing. But uh, this is just amazing to me. Uh, I, I, you know, the ability to just like, I've always been fascinated by welders and people that uh, work with wood, just because of the creative potential. You, you know, you can almost make anything if you can weld and work with wood. But now here is something that uh, you, you know, you don't need a, a, a garage full of tools <laughs> to, uh, to make things, you know, you just have this printer in your basement, a computer and some designs and, you know, the world's your oyster. Like what, you know, what can't you build with? Like, you know, in your presentation too, one of the things that caught my eye uh, was the focusers. Um, like there's rack and pinion focusers in here. Um, mm -hmm. And why that intrigues me is um you know, I, I have a fascination for some of these older telescopes that were made in the 60s and, and you know, they're, they're quite old by today's standards. And usually one of the things or one of the weak points on them is, is the focuser. Uh, like they're either sloppy or they, you know, they're bent or whatever. They just don't work very well. Um, so the ability to um, print, you know, a focuser for one of these telescopes is uh, a great possibility for me. But also like those old focusers were 0.965 inch uh, accessories. So to be able to print like a one and a quarter or maybe even a two inch focuser for these old telescopes uh, is just like, again, it's just, it's fascinating to me mm -hmm. that you could do that. Whatever wow. you need, you can draw it up and print it for the most part. Yeah. yeah this is just uh, I can't wait till Shane gets his, his printer. I'll, I'm going to have him <laughs> print me a printer. I'm a, I'm a little cheaper, yeah, so I'll buy the no buy the materials. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's funny. The, you only have to buy one 3D printer. You just buy the hardware and print the next one. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
I always said that the first 3D printer cost a million dollars, but the second one was like five bucks in materials, mm. right? <laughs> Absolutely. So, so what are like some lessons learned, like maybe some don't do's or must do's if, uh, if you were to, you know, make recommendations to somebody say like me, let's just say hypothetically, <laughs> I go upstairs after this podcast and I order myself one of these things, you know, again, what should I do and what should I not do either in the ordering or once I receive it, you know, what are your, your tips and tricks? Um, some do's and don'ts. I'd say the, there's nothing like a uh, firsthand experience. So if, if you do um, pull the trigger on something like this, definitely just get some material in and start playing around with it. There's tons and tons of stuff online, YouTube videos and, and articles about how to do it. So I don't have any, I don't think you'll find any issue getting it up and started. Um, but as far as uh, just learning, it's just hands-on is the best way to do it. If you're not sure, print it out, try it. If it doesn't work, change it, print it out, try it. That's what's so great about it. You can print a part in two hours and try it out and then print another one. You don't have to send out for anything, anything like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as far as specifics, like, um, I don't know, there's, there's, there's quite a bit that you can talk about and specific problems here and there, but it, it'll depend on, on what you run into, I guess. Yeah, fair enough. So what's the what's the coolest thing you've printed or the thing you're most proud of, whether it's astronomy or not? What mm -hmm. uh, what, what do you like or what, what's been the, yeah, just the coolest thing you've done? It's a good question. Um, How about those? Can you go down the eyepiece? You have print examples down there. Can you click on that? Yeah. The one with the eyepieces at the very bottom there. That's oh. the most recent print I did um, last week, actually. Oh, let's see this. Yeah, so um, that ST80 that I got in, it didn't have any eyepieces. So I bought some online. I bought three of them. I bought a 32 uh, millimeter and I bought a 15 and then a three millimeter, which was a bit aggressive for this scope. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the, I love the 32, super wide, but its eye relief is 20 millimeters and I don't wear glasses. Mm -hmm. So I, I put my eye on the cup and uh, the edges are black. So I'm like, yeah. oh, I need to back up a little bit, but I can't just hover my head above the eyepiece. So I was like, okay, I need to extend the eyepiece or the eye cup there, the little rubber bit on the end. So I printed the sleeve that kind of slides over it, but it's a little bit, you know, it seats fully, but it's a little bit longer than, than the eye cup that's on there. And that's right it out and it, it works quite well. It puts my eye right where it needs to be. And if it wasn't long enough, all I'll have to do is just extend it a little bit in the CAD and print it again. Wow. That's, That's pretty amazing. cool. Yeah. yeah. And what about those, uh, looks like eyepiece covers or something in they're like orange or something like that. Yeah. Those ones, can you just click on that. So it comes up full screen. Uh, that's by, uh, Cloudy Knights, uh, user Gaspacho. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I guess he had a bunch of eyepieces in this nice little box he's got. And I guess he got tired of pulling them out and look at the number on the side. So he printed caps for him with numbers on them so he can just easily find it. That's amazing because then that would also be very tactile, like in the dark, right? Yeah. I yeah. need so smart. I need those for my Pentax eyepieces because <laughs> all, all of them pretty much look the same, right? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and and uh, you know, just a real world use case here is is those TMB Super Monos that I have. Uh, I think only one of them came with caps, and I don't even know if originally they came with caps. Um, but there's a guy on eBay that sells yellow eyepiece caps, like replacement ones. 
um, in various sizes and they're very flexible and I've ordered many of them. And, and for the most part, they're all awesome. But the ones for the TMB Super Mono fit so bloody tight that they're just a pain to use. Um, so, I can, oh, sorry, that was probably loud. But um, the ability to print something like this and also have the uh, the focal length on there is just so cool. Yeah, I have to this say, is a, this is a, a a great tool if you love to organize. Yeah, you can you can you can print so many like specific exactly what you need to organize things. You can print it, and it's. It's an organization, you know, in heaven. <laughs> no Justin, kidding. can you just uh, click on your next uh, one down below showing the ST80 and sure. the, uh, yeah. I just, one of the, you know, and maybe this, this is just me, <laughs> but I love the colors. Like the, uh, your, your tube ring that, that you've created here is this almost looks like a purpley blue or something like that. Like it's very, like you'd never be able to find a purple blue tubering like it really uh looks quite stunning uh, attaching the sd80 it looks like you're using it as a guide scope on a on a larger refractor yeah this is a this is a user on cloudy nights um, oh, okay yeah i don't i don't know if i can pronounce that but um yeah they went for the clamshell method so they have um like another fast on the other side probably um yeah. but yeah this is the same same scope that i have uh, as a yeah. guide scope on something a little larger there but yeah, you can get as many different colors as you want. There's tons. So what are you, uh, you're using, are you using it as a guide scope or as a regular visual scope mostly or a mix? Uh, no, I'm just using it as a, a visual scope. It's, I'm, I'm in an apartment here um, okay. for, 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 for the time being. And I don't have, I don't have too much room for, for anything larger than this at the moment. I do yeah. definitely want to get something larger whenever I get settle down and have a little bit more space. But for now, this is, I mean, and this is my first visual astronomy scope. Okay. Uh, I've started out with, with a lot of astrophotography. So I think I like, like you've talked about in the past, the SD 80 is a top notch scope to start with. And I do agree with that. Yeah. And uh, you know, it, it looks like you still have the one and a quarter inch uh, focuser on there. I mean, you, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're ever going to do another upgrade. It'd be interesting to see if you could do like a 3D printed uh, two inch focuser like Shane was talking about. Because when you when you get the big wide field, even like I have an inexpensive uh, 30 millimeter 75 degree eyepiece that I use on mine. And it's it's amazing on the uh, on these 80 millimeter F5s. Yeah, originally when it was coming in, I was looking at getting a two inch focuser, but I was like, well, I don't know about 250 bucks or whatever it was going to be. And may, maybe later on down the road, I, mm. I might try and, and uh, turn this into a two inch through my printer. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a Gina Astro has single speeds for 105 bucks. Oh yeah. Oh, that's not too bad at all. Yeah. And I think Lunt makes one that I was a little bit concerned because the Lunt didn't have as many set screws, but the, but the, uh, the one from a Gina Astro has, has two set screws. So you don't have to worry about your, Diagonal going south and yeah, and dropping an expensive high piece on the cement mm, or whatever. Yeah, so, yeah, but uh, but yeah, even even still like this, like a thirty-two millimeter colossal, like you were using. I mean, that's just a great way to get started. I I bundled one up for my nephew. I think it I think it almost was the same thirty-two millimeter you you have there because it it sort of had that same funky uh, eye relief as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm, I love it. It's great. Um, I actually when I took it apart originally and cleaned it up and 
and put it back together you know I, was, I took it out and i was looking at some stars and it had some some weird kind of halos around the stars and at, the moon wasn't up at the time so i couldn't really yeah you know, plan around that but i think it was last week i got around to thinking i was like i was googling like weird halos around stars st80 and i wasn't really getting anything and then i watched uh you know looking at different mods i could do too i watched this video like this youtube video of a guy taking it apart and there's two elements in the front there's a fat one and a skinny one but it's by the way, it's really easy to mix that up because I, I actually yeah. put it in backwards and I figured it out that it was wrong. I flipped it around, hastily put it back together and took it outside and looked at the moon and it was the most crisp I've ever seen it. And then I looked at Orion, I was like, wow, I mean, where, where's this? And then I actually, at, just by random chance, I actually uh, got to see the ISS pass over. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. I was like, through, through the telescope or just naked eye? I was able to catch it on a 15 millimeter eyepiece I had on here. Wow. I didn't know it was the ISS until after I looked it up. I was like, oh, that's pretty bright and it's moving at a pretty good clip. So it's probably the ISS. Yeah, that's a cool observation. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and reversing the elements, that is a fairly common thing in uh, older telescopes. Um, hmm. A lot of reports on cloudy nights of somebody acquiring, you know, again, an old telescope, say from the 60s, but being disappointed uh, with mm. the optical performance. And usually what it is, is somebody at some point in the history of that telescope, you know, took it apart to clean it and then, yeah, flipped one of the elements or reversed the, the doublet. And all you do is switch it around and boom, you know, you're, you have yeah. a beautiful telescope. Again. I had, I had no idea. I just chalked it up to like, Oh, the atmosphere's bad or uh -huh. uh, I don't know, maybe I didn't clean it well enough, but. No, I had no idea until I kind of stumbled across the YouTube video. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> the thin one goes on the outside. Uh, yeah. so, That's awesome. So what uh, what have you enjoyed looking at the most uh, through, through the little 80 millimeter F5 so far? Um, I've really enjoyed the moon. I'm actually, uh, I just go outside my apartment complex here. So I don't have extremely dark skies. And it's a bit too cold for me to kind of venture out uh, and find a nice site. Uh, at this point, uh, I'll definitely do it during the spring, but for yep. right now, I just kind of take it out in the, in the yard out there. So light pollution is pretty bad, even locally, but I do get a really good view of the moon on some clear nights. So I really do like, I've seen the moon, you know, I've taken pictures of it, but to actually see it, you know, in, in something like 15 millimeters, or I can even get the three millimeter focus on it, but it's a bit limiting on this scope, but yeah, it's, I, it's beautiful. I, I, I found about five millimeters was about as, as far as I could go with, uh, with mine, um, mm -hmm. maybe four and a half, like on a really good night or something like that. I have a 4.3 and it, it really pushes it. Like you need the best night to use the 4.3 on it. Right. So. Yeah. I'm planning on getting something uh, between the 15 and three sometime soon. I'm not going to get rid of the three because I do plan on having something a little more powerful in the future, but yeah, yeah definitely that's a gap that I need to fill. Yeah, these are great little scopes, and I really I love the Orion, like that white the the white look of the the scope, sort of that classic uh, telescope uh, white tube looks uh, looks really good. Yeah, really like the like the look of it. Yeah, I, had yeah, I agree. Material in the printer, and I specifically changed it to this kind of clear white when I was printing these parts. So. Yeah, it goes well with it, and I like your I like your dovetail too. That's uh, that's pretty sharp. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. That's a better shot of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very nice. So are you able, so you have like, uh, 
what is that? Is that like an auto guider or something that you're, or is yeah, that so like a little? Uh, that's actually this right here. That kind of secondary uh, mini guiding scope. I got this oh. originally when I was doing uh, astrophotography, and even uh, I can show you this here. This is the. I actually made a little mount for Pi and a little screen there for my for my uh, tripod, so that I can use that auto guiding camera to to help my uh, tracker come um, auto guide with you know oh, local cool. star. What is that little keyboard? Is that just like a little Bluetooth keyboard or? Yeah, that's a little handheld Bluetooth keyboard that I got. <laughs> it's pretty oh, nice, yeah. actually. Well, I, have, on it. I think I have the same one right here. No, mine is a, I'm just going to, yeah, mine is a little joystick in the top. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mine's I, got a little trackpad and, and the yeah, top the tra left is the, like, the click. Like on yeah, the I, have the, I have the trackpad and, and then I have almost like a mouse, but... Uh, I've got the Raspberry Pi here too. I'm sorry mm -hmm. to say I've never done anything with it. <laughs> it was on sale, so I bought it. <laughs> oh, yeah, you have to. You got to have at least a couple of those around the house for some product. Yeah, I got a couple of them yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah, and they're fun. Right on. They're, well, they're plowing uh, my road. If you guys are wondering what that sound is, they're, they're out there with the giant machinery. <laughs> so there's a lot of sound here. Oh, I, I, can't, I can't hear it actually. Oh, yeah. So. It's pretty good. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know, Chris, do you have any more questions or Justin, do you have any, uh, you know, parting tips or questions for us? Um, well, if you do pull the trigger on the printer, uh, mm -hmm. if you need any help, let me know. I'll help you out. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I probably will. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah, no, really, really appreciate this. It was, uh, I, I was so impressed that you put together a presentation like this. Um, that was really unexpected. And I, I loved <laughs> going through it. Um, you have a lot of interesting uh, things on here. Um, would we be able to, to put a copy of this up on the website for people to, uh, to take a look at? Absolutely. I'd love it. Yeah. Because okay. I think, uh, you know, we, we've touched on a lot of these topics, but I mean, your presentation skills are very good as well. I think people should know. Um, and then they, they could definitely, uh, you know, really kind of put, put this together with, uh, with the talk if, if they wanted to see exactly uh, what you're referring to here. So thank you so much for doing that. And, and thanks for joining us today. I just thought this was so cool. Absolutely. No problem at all. I really enjoy this kind of stuff. And thanks for having me on. Right on. Thanks a lot, Justin. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.